You have to stay on top of trends. Today's leaders always need to be learning. In this environment of limited resources, the only way to remain competitive is your ability to leverage your most important resource. Welcome to Your Evolving Leadership Journey. In this program, we'll dive into leadership fundamentals that are essential to your success. Now, here's your host, Tom Crea. Good Monday morning. You're listening to Your Evolving Leadership Journey with Tom Crea, your host. Today, we have the privilege of speaking with Kurt Mortensen, author of Maximum Influence, The 12 Universal Laws of Power Persuasion. Before we dive in, so far we've covered and explored some topics such as remote leadership, change resilience, leading with clarity, servant leadership, and unlearning. Coming soon, we'll be talking about managing up, no more feedback, the star factor, more than human, the power of reputation, and do good. You'll find everything related to this show at yourevolvingleadershipjourney.com. Check out our schedule to see what I just shared and catch up on any episodes you missed or join the LinkedIn group that we have to continue the discussion. If you believe in continuous learning, you're in the right place. So why did I think a chat with Kurt about influence and persuasion would be good for anyone interested in leadership? Well, we're going to find that out. Why I invited Kurt, and I'm sure he has something special to offer for you. So, Kurt, thank you very much for joining us today. Welcome. Thanks, Tom. It's great to be here. Well, great, great. Like I said, you can find everything at yourevolvingleadershipjourney.com. And if you have any questions or you want to call in, the number is 866-472-5790. Again, 866-472-5790. Now, here's a description of this topic uh, we're going to talk about today. Understanding the theories of persuasion, motivation, and influence will put you in life's driver's seat. Why? Because everything you want or will want in life comes from these three simple concepts. Kurt will reveal the 12 laws of persuasion and you will be able to gain instant influence over others and inspire others to take action, all while getting what you want from life. You will win people to your way of thinking and will empower yourself with unshakable confidence. You will triple your prosperity in sales and marketing. You'll become a captivating magnet of success. You'll learn how to make people instinctively like and trust you, something that might otherwise take you years to accomplish. No longer will you face the unexpected with fear or intimidation. Rather, you will confront head-on with credibility, control, and confidence. So here's a question for you, our listeners. Has this happened to you? You're talking to a potential client, a prospect, or a manager of another department. In your mind, what you are proposing is a no-brainer, and it will only take a few minutes to influence the other person to do what you want done. The more you talk, the more they resist. What happened? Why weren't you able to persuade them? Or, even worse, have you ever met someone who did not seem very smart but was making 10 times more money than you? Didn't seem that bright but but could persuade anyone to do anything? What do you have, excuse me, what do they have that you don't have? They have mastered the power of persuasion. And with that, I'm going to let Kurt talk about the intro of his book. Go ahead, Kurt. That's what it's all about, the persuasion influence. And I started my journey, you know, I spent all this money on a college degree thinking that'd be the ticket, then a graduate degree in business and yeah, you get thrust in the workplace and you realize you don't know what you need to know. It was the missing skills, what the successful people had. And, and then I started working with entrepreneurs and 
they'd get into a business, they'd work for a while, and they say it didn't work. And then I like it didn't work for you. Look at all these successful people. And I was trying to figure out what's that missing ingredient. And it comes back to persuasion and influence. It's the it's Napoleon Hill says that magic ingredients, the key factor. It's that secret sauce, whatever you want to call it. That is what makes all the difference in the world. Your ability to get other people to want to do what you want them to do and like doing it. Perfect. And I have a high school friend of mine who is uh, actually a couple of them who are classic examples of that and good for them. I'm happy for them. So, um, uh, Kurt, in the beginning of your book, you talk about persuasion as the engine for your success. So what are some of the mistakes um, and why aren't we as persuasive as we'd like to be? Well, I mean, the big thing is that uh, our default setting is humans and everybody's the same around the world. The default setting is that people tend to persuade others how they want to be persuaded, how they like to be persuaded. And that's wrong. Your defaults, I mean, you need to adapt to persuade other people of their personalities and styles and cultures and age groups. You've got to persuade them how they want to be persuaded. And that's why people lose so much money. They just don't know how to persuade. They have maybe three or four or five tools. And my research shows there's over a hundred tools. And as you know, if the only tool in your toolbox is a hammer, you treat everyone like a nail. They use the same tools over and over again. The tools like then excuse the word, they, they vomit on people. Okay, Here are the 27 reasons. Here are the 42 reasons. And we think we're logical, but we're not. And so one of the big blunders is that we just don't adapt to the person. Our default setting just makes us persuade people how they want to be persuaded. That'd be the first one. Great. Well, you know what? Your, your explanation there reminded me of a communication style issue that um, – you know, we all believe in the golden rule. And if you've heard of the platinum rule, instead of treating others the way you want to be treating, treating them the way they want to be treated is a uh, is an interesting thing when it comes to disc and communication. So this being the assessment. Well, if you want to comment on that further, great. If not, I want to go into the yeah, next. I mean, a few more things we need to think about is that we need to help people persuade themselves because the moment somebody senses you're going to try to persuade them, even though they need it, want it, like it and can afford it they're going to resist you. So that's another thing to think about. But the biggest eye-opener for me after 20 years of research is that up to 95% of influence involves a subconscious trigger, right? It's a feeling. Within seconds, I like them, I don't like them, I trust them, I don't trust them, I'm going to business with them, I'm not going to do business with them. And it's amazing what the research shows. We want to be logical, but we're emotional creatures. Everything that goes through our brain, through our amygdala is tainted with the feeling and emotion. It could be the color of your clothes. Do you have sunglasses on? Do you have facial hair? How close you stand, a gesture, word choice, tone of voice, the actual words you use. All these things are replaying in your subconscious mind that could help or hurt your ability to persuade. And people don't think about that subconscious side. They only focus on the logical side. Right. And you're talking about the emotional and uh, we're going to make that connection because as I've identified, uh, um, look for the audience, uh, if you want to read all 12 laws, you're probably going to have to pick up his book. Uh, I've identified four of his laws and their involvement, the law of involvement, the law of esteem, the law of dissonance and the law of expectations. Why? Because for me, leadership is my passion and those are the ones that really popped out for me. Others seem more specific to sales and Kurt might disagree with me on that. Um, but again, these are the ones that popped out with me and Kurt, if you agree with that, great. Uh, if not, and you disagree, I absolutely want to hear why. Um, other than that, we'll continue more questions. Well, I'll take a little disagreement there. I mean, anything, I mean, leadership is a different type of skill, obviously, and, and it's all around influence and persuasion, but any law of persuasion can be adapted to a leadership, to management, to sales, to customer service. 
they're all different techniques that we can adapt, and that's the key. Now, some are more specific to leadership, obviously, because leadership is a different type of influence. I like to say persuasion is what we do when we see the, the, say the techniques. A lot of times, leadership is who we are, so we have to look at different aspects as far as getting people to follow us as a leader. Okay. Well, fair enough. Well, let's warm up with the first one in your book, The Law of Connectivity. You talk about it as uh, it states that when people feel um, that the more someone feels connected to you or similar to you or liked by you, you're going to be more persuasive and there are four factors. Um, so go ahead and touch on that and then we're going to get into the ones that I want to cover. So reference to your, your uh, techniques. <laughs> which it seems okay. like a simple thing, a silly thing, but you know, and, and people like you, it's just easier to lead. It's easier to influence. It's easier. To, life is easier. And you have to ask yourself, you know, do you know that annoying person that maybe you work with, that person that rubs you the wrong way? You know, that person that thinks they're funny, but they're not. And everybody knows that kind of person. And my question to your audience is, is that could be you. Is that you? Are you that annoying person? And my, my, my answer is, yes, you are. To some people, some personalities, you're that annoying person. Because you can get along with people that are like you. That's easy. But if you truly want to be a leader, you've got to get along with different styles, personalities, different people with different belief systems. And that's where the law of connectivity comes. Is how do you connect with anybody? How do you do that? And there's a variety of ways to do that. And the first one, and it's not politically correct at all, is people judge you on your appearance, your attraction. It's known as the halo effect. The better looking you are, you're th people think you're more trustworthy, you're a better leader, that you are smarter than you actually are. Now, I know some of these things we can fix, but some of these things you can to realize that that matters. In the judicial system, the uglier convicts get longer prison sentences. In college, the better looking students get better grades. I know it's not fair. I'm not saying it's fair. We don't deal with fair. It's called reality. So that would be the first one. All right. Well, you know what? You're When you're talking there, the word that popped into my mind was mirroring. You want to mirror others. Do you want to share anything about mirroring? Well, mirroring is part of the report. That's one of the steps, too. That's one of the final steps. But to mirror other people's gestures, it's also called isopraxism, is one of the techniques that's a very valuable one that some people aren't too sure about. Mirroring, and you got to be careful not to exactly mirror somebody you're going to freak about if you try to be robotic just like them. But the thing I think where people tend to blow it here is, is not only the, the gestures, but we need to mirror people's energy. You know, as leaders, if your energy is way too high and they're really low and you come in Monday morning, they haven't had their coffee, it's going to repel you. So the breaking the mirror can be something even with energy levels and also gestures. Hmm. Well, since you're talking about energy and it's first thing Monday morning and you're a high energy guy and I think I can mirror you pretty well, I wonder how our audience is going to feel about that. That's a rhetorical question, but of course, if you'd like, you can respond. <laughs> it's true. It is Monday morning. It could be a little much. All right. Well, look, we'll, we'll, we'll try to throttle it down just a little bit, but uh, I want to get into the ones that are about leadership or the ones that I that really caught my attention from your book. And you write, as a power persuader, your goal is to decrease the distance someone has to go to reach your objective. And, and I'm specifically looking at the in increasing participation section where you say the more individuals take an active role and get involved, the more open they are to persuasion, the more open to persuasion they become. I totally agree with that because I felt that in my leadership role. So expand on that, please. Yeah, if you want to be a leader, if you want to influence, it doesn't really matter what it is. You got to have people engaged. If they're not listening, you can't influence them. If they're 
if they're rushed, it's hard to influence. If they're confused, it's hard to influence them. If they're indifferent, it's hard to influence. So you got to get them engaged mentally and physically to be able to listen to your message, to accept your message, to understand what's in it for them. Because if you can't do that, it's not going to matter. And as leaders, they, they do their presentations, they get their PowerPoints, they think they're being persu- persuasive. But I'm telling you, anybody can inform, but is it influential? Anybody can present, but is it persuasive? And I'll put it out there that there's no such thing as a boring topic, only a boring presenter. I don't care what the topic is. A great leader, a great presenter can make any topic come alive, resonate with their audience, get them to listen. Because if they're bored and different, not listening, you've got to own up and look at yourself and say, I've got some things to work on. So let's say, for argument, you report to me and I have an idea and you have a similar idea, which is going to be almost effective or just as effective or maybe more effective than my idea. Which idea is the leader should I go with, yours or mine? Well, if you really want to uh, have them follow you and, and like you, and it's going to be with theirs. If they're similar, I would go with their idea every time, every time. In fact, that's one of the techniques in the law of involvement is asking for people's advice because you could go in and data dump and vomit and tell them what to do, and that's quick, easy, but that's a manager's role. As a leader, you've got to build people. You've got to boost their esteem. You've got to help them understand that. And advice is so simple. Hey, what's your opinion? What's your advice? What you do? What would you think? And the study after study shows that's a powerful technique. In fact, let me share one with you. During World War II, the United States was running out of meat for the war effort. They were shipping it all overseas. And the government came to this psychologist. His name was Kurt Lewin and said, hey, can you convince Americans to eat more intestinal meats? Okay. And we're not talking hot dogs here. We're talking, you know, intestines and stomach. And everywhere in the world will eat it, but Americans won't. It's kind of one of those weird things, and it has nutritional value. He says, here's some money, convince Americans. And so he got everyone in this seminar and rah, rah, do it for your country. Here's some recipes. Here's some samples. And only 3% went home to cook intestinal meats for their family. But then – Phase two, he realized that's not the way to do it. He'd use the opinions and advice. He got him around a table and says, hey, what would you guys, how would you persuade people? What's your opinion? What's your advice? What would you, would you do? Went from 3% to 32%. Not only was it 10 times more, it's 10 times easier. And as a leader, you got to own up. Someone might have a better idea than you. Fantastic. That's exactly what I wanted to hear, and that's why I chose this one. When you're, If you're in a leadership role and you're trying to – to make your life easier, um, you want people to be involved. Well, how do you get involved? Them to be involved. My solution or yours? You know, unless you know, my rule of thumb was unless it was going to be an unsafe option because we were in the military or just a gross misuse of resources, I was going to go with their option all the time. And it was, and if let's just say there was a minor um, uh, excess use of resources, then it was a learning opportunity for them to to learn from that. But the bottom line is, and you write this, people will support what they help create. You want to go further on that one? No, that's exactly right. They have ownership. They help create it. Even when you're as a leadership have to discipline somebody, you could tell them what to do and what they did wrong, but you could say, you know what? Hey, if you were the leader, what would you do? What would you do in this opinion? Even for kids, hey, you broke the family rule. If you were the mom and dad, what would you do? How would you handle this? And just listen and it become their idea of ownership. But Epidemia was this, excuse me, a general manager of this company and uh, this someone in customer service was doing a rotten job and took her to my office and said, hey, don't don't sit there, sit in my chair. And she looked at me like I was really strange and I sat where she would normally sit and that's what I said. 
hey, you've been here longer than I have. You know what's going on. What would you do? And the same things I would have came up with, but she had them. They were ownership. She gave the advice. She was never perfect, but became a lot better. And I know if I would have told her exactly what to change and what to do, it would have had the opposite effect because that's human nature. Exactly. So um, I want to go a little bit further on this one. So let's say you really want uh, your team to be able to, to execute a certain idea that you have in mind and you get buy-in from my technique was always to go to with one of the one of the informal leaders the influencers in the organization and eventually if it became their idea and or they agreed with it and I shared their idea publicly to the entire team well guess what they all turned to that informal leader and they looked to that person for guidance and that person was not in their head north and south not east and west and voila everybody bought in you want to talk about that? Absolutely. If you can tap into those opinion leaders, and that's what great leaders do is, is through questions. I mean, influential people ask three times more questions, and that's the secret to your listeners is, number one, interesting fact is that introverts are now more influential than extroverts because they listen, they ask questions, they're consultants. It, extroverts are more salesy and more pushy, and people are going to naturally resist it. And if you could – come up with the questions and lead them down the right path to where you want them to go. Now you're truly a leader. Now you're truly doing it. I mean, things like, hey, tell me, what's the perfect solution look like to you? Really? Why have you said that? Have you done that before? What are the strengths and weaknesses? And man, you lead them down that path. They're persuading themselves. You becoming a leader. And that makes all the difference in the world. Because I know it saves you a few minutes to tell them what to do, but that's not influence and that's not leadership as we both know. That's funny. You know, I did not know what you had said about the introverts versus extroverts. I, intuitively, I believe that. Why? Because I grew up in the military, and in the military, the majority of people who make general officers happen to be introverted. Go figure. Well, and it's because of what you just said. So that's fantastic. Look, I, I want to get on to the next law, but before we finish the law of involvement, you also talk about creating the right atmosphere, using the art of questioning, which you touched on, and engaging the, the senses. Would you like to touch on any of those before we go to the next law? Well, absolutely. That atmosphere of when you're speaking to a person one-on-one -on -one or a group of people. I mean, the, I mean things from the, the, the size of the ceiling in the room, the temperature in the room, the Eliminating distractions in a room is a key thing, but even bigger, probably the most important power tool for any leader, any charismatic leader especially, that's in the law of involvement, that just the, the studies are incredible, is your ability to tell engaging stories. Stories not only grab attention and demonstrate who you are, they trigger the right emotions, because I could tell you, hey, feel anger, but if I tell you a story and you get angry, it's completely different, but here's the coolest thing about a story. Stories persuade without detection. I can't think of a presentation you would give to a group of people as a leader that does not include some type of relevant, simple story that illustrates your point. I've seen this with charismatic leaders. I've seen this in influence. If you want a power tool, your ability to tell a great story, it only has to be two to three minutes, but a story to illustrate your point, you watch as it persuades without detection, it puts them in that subconscious trance, they're easy to persuade, it triggers the emotions that you want, gives the story gives them the solution that you're trying to give them as a leader. That's what a lot of leaders don't think about. They want to get right to the point, but I'm telling you, put it down, underline it, your ability to tell stories is critical as an influential leader. That's great advice, <laughs> and I could share similar stories, um, but you've covered that very, very well. So look, um, 
as we go into this next law, the law of self-esteem, I, I, I actually want to peel back the onion a little bit here because um, here's one of the things you wrote that uh, you, t- you talk about self-esteem and, and people who have it, they're secure, they can admit when they're wrong, they're not unraveled. Um, but you also go on to say that when your, your esteem is low, your ego is bruised, we tend not to do what you're suggesting is to praise others. So before we get into how the rewards and recognition is important, how does that leader um, protect themselves or, or protect themselves from having that low ego and being able to, to overcome that situation so they can continue to compliment, reward, praise? Go ahead, please. Well, as a leader, if you see yourself getting angry that people aren't using your ideas, that people aren't following you, that people aren't doing what you want them to do, and you're taking that personally, you're, you're suffering from low self-esteem. And let me just put it out there. Every leader suffers from low self-esteem in some aspects of their life, whether it be speaking or other things that they're doing. It's, a, it's an all-time low. Basically, self-esteem is how much you like yourself, and you've got to check your ego at the door. You're there to build other people up and realize that as a leader, you're not going to get a lot of praise, a lot of compliments, and that if you can tap into your passion and, and you really believe in, in building people and helping people, it's not going to hurt. I mean, it hurts every once in a while. I mean, it's just the nature of the beast. I know in my world as a, as a presenter, I could go to an audience, you know, there's 100 people there, and I put in my heart and my soul, I'm trying to change their lives, and 10 people will come up after the day and say, Kurt, man, you changed my life. Thank you. Appreciate it. But then the one person says, oh, Kurt, I expected more from you. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a, it's a 10 to 1 ratio, and it's just human nature to focus on the what? That, that negative person. And, and you have to realize that when that person's negative, that says something mean, that's how they're feeling on the inside. It's their own low self-esteem talking, and that you just, you just got to own up to it and realize that's just who they are not take it personally. But it's such a big issue with, with leadership and management. In fact, one incredible study that I found that they were asking people why they were not happy with their managers. And then all the managers are thinking, oh, it's money. But here, here's the list. Failing to give credit for suggestions, failing to correct grievances, failing to encourage employees, criticizing in front of other people, practicing favoritism, failing to inform of progress. Hello, this is the biggest issue. The One of the biggest surprises I found, the one is the biggest issue that Everyone's suffering here, and the leaders aren't boosting their esteem. Because bottom line is, as a leader, if you can boost someone's esteem, it opens the doors to influence. You bruise it, it slams it shut. Agreed. Now, to, to piggyback on what you just said there, one of the um, experiences I had is that when I didn't know the answer, we're talking about ego now, I, um, I don't remember when I learned it. I, I'd like to think I learned it sooner rather than later, but the point is, is I learned it, that Sometimes it was just better to ask for help. And you know what that that gave a whole different when somebody can now say, Hey, I can I know the answer. I can help you out, boss. Um, they feel differently. So go ahead and talk about that, please. Yeah, if you could get people just to, you know, it's their idea, you haven't stepped on their toes, you haven't had a, a better idea, or even a bigging fish a bigger fishing story. <laughs> interesting thing I heard the other day is the the first President Bush said something really interesting. He said when I was president, I never lost at golf, <laughs> which makes no sense at all. But that's how it is when you have a better story. And if we could just learn how to own up and really understand the power of praise, that you're just going to see people 
you know, they'll go after a cause. We've seen in leadership that people work for less money for a leader that makes them feel good. They're part of a team. They're part of a group. They're making a difference. They're part of a cause. That one little key element of praise goes a long way. It's just such a simple skill all leaders need to improve and master. Great. Well, look, uh, we've been talking to Kurt Mortensen, the author of Maximum Influence, the 12 Universal Laws of Persuasion. We've covered a couple of the laws. Actually, we've covered three and covered three, excuse me. And we're going to come back with uh, some more of that after our break. But before we go to break, I want to just share with you, if you would like to ask questions, please do. The number is, the call number is 866-472-5790. Again, that's 866 866- Four seven two five seven nine zero, and when we get back, we're going to cover a couple more laws in his book, and then we'll give him an opportunity to share more about what he does uh, in his business. Thank you very much. We'll be right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. As Tom works with leaders, something he consistently sees is their struggle with engagement and retention. Then their frustration with having to repeat the employee development process again and again. What most people don't know is the answer lies in love. Once they realize that they simply need to apply the golden rule, the results are surprising. They start bringing out the best in others. They develop confident, capable employees, and they find they have more fun and freedom and less stress in their lives. Perhaps most importantly, they satisfy what they've been craving. Now they've created the culture that they and their team have always wanted. This is when Synergy takes over, and the results are astounding. The first step is critical. When you exhibit the self-awareness and humility that shows you need to learn and improve continuously, you set the example and encourage others to follow. To learn more, visit Blackhawk Leadership Development at BlackhawkSpeaks.com. That's BlackhawkSpeaks.com. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Voice America Business Network the bottom line in business. You are listening to Your Evolving Leadership Journey. To reach the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. If you have questions or comments about the program, you may send an email to tom at blackhawkspeaks.com. Now, back to your evolving leadership journey. Welcome back. This morning, we've been talking with Kurt Mortensen, author of Maximum Influence, the 12 Universal Laws of Power Persuasion. And so far, we've covered three of his laws, um, two of them that I thought were particular to leadership, being involvement and esteem. And we also were able to plug in connectivity. But at the end, we were talking about esteem. And before we get into two more that I really want to talk about, uh, Kurt, let's close out that last session. And what do you? What would you say is the proper way to praise others? 
Well, that is that's key element of leader. You got to feel accepted, wanted, and praised. And a lot of people don't do it because their own low self-esteem. A lot of people don't do it because they don't think the person's going to buy it. But the formula is really simple. Well, first of all, we need to be aware that we need to do it. Then we need to take a look at this formula. The first one, I think we all know, is to be sincere. Uh, funny thing about praise, it still works because we're so hungry for it when we're not sincere. But as a leader, you need to be sincere, not go around with a checklist, just praising everybody around the office. That's, uh, I think we all know that one. And then we only can only, we need to understand we can only praise positive things. You wouldn't want to say, oh, hey, you still work here? Good for you. Probably not a good form of praise. Or, Uncle Frank, you're still alive with all the bacon you eat? I thought you'd be dead by now. <laughs> Probably not good praise. So it needs to be something positive. But here's the biggest one. You have to realize that pretty much everyone you're praising has low self-esteem. And when you have low self-esteem, you discount people's praise. It's just what you do. And so as a leader, you have to praise something they can't refute, something specific. Hey, Bob, when you're on the phone with Mr. Jones, they're upset, you turned them around. Man, that was textbook. Good for you. Everyone should listen to that call. It was sincere. It was positive, but it was specific. They can't refute it because it happened. That is the magic, that little small piece that is specific. Otherwise, you say, oh, you look great in that dress. Well, this whole thing, I found it in the gutter, right? So uh, a lesson here, too, with anybody, when someone praises you, accept it, because if you discount the praise, you discount them. But make it something specific. That makes all the difference in the world as a leader because then they can't refute it. It's real. It's happened. It's positive. It's sincere. And you watch them shine, and they'll just do almost anything for you because they need it. They are hungry for it, and they want it. Well, I, I like that, and you caused me to want to ask you yet another question. So let's it. say let's say you're not you want to praise somebody for the works that they do, and, and ultimately, what I'm going to ask you is: is this for form when it's something you want them to improve upon, sincere or insincere? So let's say I needed you to improve something. There was something that you were doing that look, I can point it out. I knew you can fix it, but I can tell you, uh, I call it the Oreo cookie approach. I can tell you on the front end, Kurt. I really like the way you do X. You know, when you're doing Y, I would like you to work on this some more. And I can also say, and I also like the way you're doing Z, and you leave that person with um, something to think about. And it, and it goes into a couple of these laws that we're going to get to uh, that I want to get to next. But what are your thoughts about that? Is that sincere or insincere? No, it's sincere. I mean, it's from your heart. You, as a leader, sometimes you got to have the the negative news. Sometimes you got to help people improve. And I like your Oreo, your sandwich, to where you're doing a little positive. Like, all right, we're working on this, and uh, you need to improve. Uh, uh, tell them what they need to work on. But the key factor there is a leader is that they need to feel like you're attacking their problem and not the person. And when they yeah. know that you're there to help them, to improve them, that you're not really judging them as a person, but you're helping them to grow and to overcome this. But once they feel that you're attacking them as a person, you're going to get that uh, esteem factor. They're going to resent you. They're going to they're going to admit that it's not true or it's not their fault. But when let's say feel that you're you have the formula, sincere, positive, specific, but they also know that all right, it's the problem we're after, not the person. That makes all the difference in your. Oreo sandwich that's making me hungry right now. <laughs> uh, well, I don't like those, so I can say them all oh, I want. I shouldn't say I don't like them. Uh, I, I'm not as attracted to them uh, as, as many a little people. milk. I'm good to go. <laughs> <laughs> like my children. Well, look, um, you're causing me to, you know, the the very structured person to want to jump on. You're causing me to jump to law number nine is what I've got it as, the law of expectations as a uh, as opposed to the law of dissonance that I wanted to cover next. That's just a, a personal problem that I have. But we're going to skip forward to a different law, which is ties right into what he just talked about. And, you know, 
what Kurt writes is we tend to make decisions based on how others expect them to behave or perform. And, and so we, we, he writes about, he's talking about, we fulfill those expectations, whether they're positive or negative. I like to say, um, set the bar high and they'll always reach it. Not, not always, but then Kurt will talk about that. Well, what does it take? I mean, don't set it too high. Um, but let's talk about the law of expectations, Kurt. What are your thoughts? And then I'll ask you some more questions. Well, as parents, as leaders, as managers, when whatever expectations we set, people live up to them. Like you said, positive or negative. I mean, you look at children, for example, as parents, or the way we raise them and our expectations of their grades, are they going to go to college? Are they going to, uh, what they're going to accomplish is all about that. They've done plenty of studies just with kids. I did this with the fifth graders. They handed them this candy and they were unwrapped the candy and most of them threw the wrappers on the ground. They counted the wrappers, but over the next two weeks, the teacher's like, I, you know, I think this is the cleanest class I've ever had. Vice principal comes in, hey, is this the clean class? A custodian writes on the board, thanks for being the clean class. And of course, they hand out candy two weeks later, and it wasn't perfect, but it was a lot better just building those expectations through our, our body language and what we say and, and not prejudging other people, giving them the benefit of the doubt are all different factors a part of the expectation process. So what you expect with confidence, and they believe they can do it, and they know you believe in them, that changes everything in influence. Yeah, and I and I, I believe it's all about uh, if you believe in other people and you set that bar and you actually help them get there, you're going to help them get there. And one of the things you also wrote is when we when no when when we know others expect something from us, like those children in your example, we will try to satisfy them in order to gain respect, trust, and likability. You want to expand? It's just how we're programmed. I think it's our programming as children to where we just want to meet those expectations, exceed those expectations, because. I mean, a big part of a lot of expectations, and this is where a lot of leaders tend to blow it, is they have the inability, and I saw this with my charisma research, to build a vision in people. Because if you can't see yourself doing it mentally, it doesn't happen physically. I mean, too many CEOs, they, they think they're the leaders, and they do the big rah, rah, here's our vision, this is where we're going, this is what we're doing. And then at the break room 10 minutes later, people are like, uh, yeah, whatever, flavor of the day, we tried that one before, that's not going to work. And that's a big challenge, and that's a huge thing. If, if the person you're trying to influence can't see themselves doing it mentally. It's not going to happen physically. And they saw this with back to kids, inner city kids. They help go to college, go to college. And they don't. They don't know what college is. Their parents didn't go. A lot of their parents didn't go. And so they finally took them to a college to mirror a student for a day. And now when they said go to college, they could visualize it. They could see it. They know what that meant. That made all the difference in the world. Well, perfect, because I was just going to ask you, how do you convince somebody or get them to see that picture? And that was a great example. Now, when you talked about goal setting and creating personal expectations, you wrote something that uh, was actually surprising to me, and <laughs> it's because I'm just different. Um, you said, many people don't like the idea. The words make them cringe. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. So you're programmed differently than most. <laughs> That's just how you are. And all great leaders and CEOs and every book on success talks about goal setting. There's no doubt about that. But to the average person, they cringe because a lot of times they are given goals they don't believe in. They're given goals that they don't know why they're doing it. They're assigned to them. Their manager or leader hasn't, hasn't helped them build a vision of why they should do it or why the team's going to do it. And so for a lot of people, goals could have the opposite effect. I mean, we know goals work. Even in a production plant, the one batch they said, hey, try your best, and the other batch, they said, here are your goals, and those goals accomplished three times there. It's going to destroy people. If they don't believe in them, if they're too big, 
uh, all those things come into play to where it's a big challenge for them. Even, look at sales, for example. You're trying to motivate a salesperson. Like, oh, top three go to Hawaii. Well, it's going to motivate maybe your top five or six, but the rest are like, yeah, not going to happen. It's never me. It's not going to work. All right. Well, look, I think you have the answer to this question. So let's say my, my goal is really for you to become an independent employee. I want you to be able to think and act and operate on your own, and you don't have that confidence. You're wired differently. I believe, personally, that I can help you fix that. And what I would suggest is, and, and this is where I want to hear how you would do it, is if I can show you the vision and you still don't believe it, and then, okay, fine, that's, let's, let's do this. Let's break this down into subtasks so that when you see that you can accomplish that and we, we create a logical plan that gets you from point A to point Z, um, then you're going to get it done. You start having some more confidence. What are your thoughts there? Yeah, there's a couple factors there that – you know, when, when someone's brain gets overwhelmed, it shuts down. And so breaking down, things down to smaller pieces makes people see themselves doing it. It's better with expectations. But you have to understand with the people we lead, and this is also true with self-leadership and our ability to persuade ourselves, is that when someone's stuck in worry, worry about this, and what if this doesn't work out, it's because their vision's not strong enough. They can't see themselves doing it. They haven't visualized it maybe it's a too big of a piece you need to break it down to smaller pieces or maybe it's their thoughts we know that a lot of people have these negative thoughts and those negative thoughts trigger negative emotions which come across in their actions and pollutes their vision to where we have to go back to the fundamental of the mindset is it are their thoughts polluting them are they getting stuck on worry are they always giving them a pre-excuse to fail to where oh you know it's never works out I'm not a good public speaker I've never accomplished this goal before I've never done that much before and they're giving me the, all these excuses that it won't work that's a function of negative thoughts that's a function that they're stuck on worry and really don't believe that they can do what you're asking them to do yeah as you're talking about that when uh when I ran the ROTC program at Northeastern University in Boston College, I, I had the privilege of seeing cadets come in, high school graduates, they come into the program, and now all of a sudden they got to stand in front of a group of people and, and lead them. And, and they've seen other people do it. They've seen the, the, the juniors and the, the sophomores, the juniors and the seniors do it, but they're freshmen. And when they get their turn, all of a sudden they freeze. But, but I, what I remembered was is that the, the cadre, the officers that um, work on our team, they would, they would help them guide them through. And of course um, there's a little pressure there because it's the military and we're trying to instill a certain uh, um, or develop a certain type of leader. But the, the point was, is that the experience of getting somebody to do something and having them walk through it builds their confidence, confidence. Would you like to comment on that? Yeah. If they can uh, small steps at a time, see themselves doing it, little victories, smaller goals, can all be part of that process. And that's a key thing to where even when it's especially based on fear, it's just too big. It's so much they can't do it. And, and understanding the psychology of fear is a big part of, of leadership and knowing that when someone has a bad experience, and you probably know this to be true, that the longer they wait to say, let's say public speaking, they had a bad experience. It didn't work out. They thought they failed. The longer they wait to do it again or for someone to walk them through it, the bigger that seed's going to grow into a tree, just getting them back on that horse, back up to public speaking, whatever that fear is, a little bit at a time. It just might be the child's afraid of a dog, just a picture of a dog in the same room as a dog. Don't have to touch the dog, but getting people past those fears a little bit at a time, that's the role of a great leader. Well, speaking of a great leader, Kurt, you're doing a great job of doing something that um, – 
you're giving me the opportunity to point something out to the audience and have you expand upon it and grow. So earlier, Kurt was talking about how important stories were. And one of the things that's going on here is we don't have the, the privilege of having you see Kurt or you're having the visuals. And, and in another part of his book, he talks about that's where we receive the most of the information. Then it's the, the listening. And then there are the other of the five sentences. But what he just did is he gave a metaphor that I hadn't heard before. And I thought was fantastic. The seed is going to grow into a tree. So, not so much to pat yourself on the back, but because we know you're the expert here and you're doing a great job. But let's talk about that metaphor you just used and why you use it because it was effective. Well, I noticed when I just do charisma research that charismatic leaders use more metaphors, more similes. It just makes it easier for the brain to understand. There's just power in that. When you see, I saw this the other day. Someone selling home alarm systems door to door, and they said, you know, this alarm system is like having a police officer at your door. 24 hours a day that's cool yeah visitors and fish are alike they both start to smell after three days (laughs) (laughs) so i mean it's just it makes it come alive and it's part of the involvement engagement process using metaphors making it come alive it just feels real it seems real and that's a powerful tool that people can to use to do that because then I, oh, well, that makes sense. Or, or here's what you might like. Personal development is like a bucket. Not having a personal development program is like a bucket with a hole in it, right? It just all leaks out. I mean, it just rings true. It makes sense. And it's, I don't know if it's our caveman wiring or how it is, but it just rings true to the human brain. All right. Well, great. Well, look, uh, I could talk about goal setting and, and the uh, expectations law all day, but we'll, we'll move on. So the law of dissonance. Um, this is also interesting to me because anytime we talk about the human brain and neuroscience, I just think it's a fascinating thing, but you're talking about cognitive dissonance and the physical discomfort that happens. So talk about that section of your book a little bit, and then uh, we'll, we'll go from there. Yeah, cognitive dissonance is a deeper dive, but it is human nature 101. So basically, on a rudimentary level, the human brain needs to be right. So when we make a commitment or we uh, have our belief, if we do something against our belief or a commitment we've made, it's almost like this internal pressure, this rubber band starts to stretch inside you where you feel discomfort and uh, you have to alleviate it. You cannot live with that. The human brain cannot live with any type of dissonance or discomfort. When you do something against your belief or against a commitment that you've made, but the challenge is, is people tend to stretch that rubber band a little too far and it snaps back at them. If somebody says, hey, help me eat healthy, I want to eat healthy, and they co- you come home and they've polished off 12 Krispy Kreme donuts, you better duck because they're going to attack you and make it your fault. So the lesson here is that it's easier for humans to amend their belief than to admit they're wrong. Let me give you an example. Let's say you've been teaching your children your whole life not to steal. Stealing's wrong, right? That's your belief. Don't steal. And your little five-year-old son comes into your home office and says, hey, isn't that stapler from work? You're like, yeah. says, isn't that stealing? And your little rubber band stretches. You've just been called out by a (laughs) five-year-old. And it's easier for humans to say, "Uh, well, I'm just borrowing it for 20 years. Well, I do some work at home, you know, and they don't pay me enough. And right, we rationalize, we amend, we justify instead of admitting we're wrong. And so in the persuasion process, if we can understand the human brain, those subconscious triggers, why we do what we do and gently stretch that rubber band, help them stretch their own rubber band, it's more persuasive because it's helping them themselves. 
That is the key. If you can get them to help persuade themselves, that is the factor. But most uh, managers and, and influencers try to stretch a little too far back, someone in the corner, win the argument, and it has the opposite effect. In fact, let me share a study with you I had my college students do once is that they uh, did some research and found out that 97% of people feel you should wash your hands after the restroom. Okay, we're, we're concerned about the other 3%, but at least 97% think you should. And we all know that's not what really happens. And so these students camp out in the university library bathrooms to catch people who didn't wash their hands, both male and female. And they would catch somebody, follow them out in the hallway and say, wait, stop, you forgot to wash <laughs> your hands. Now, nobody said thank you or nobody was very appreciative. We saw people that say, hey, pervert, call security. Someone's in the bathroom. Well, my professor said the germs were for so strong it didn't matter. Well, I'm using hand sanitizer later. No, before you eat. I mean, people rationalize it. They made up, with the, made up the craziest things because they backed them into the corner too much. And sometimes as leaders, we tend to do that because it's one it's fun to win the argument, prove someone's wrong, tell them what to do, but that's not true influence or leadership. Right. <laughs> that, that's just some rich stories you have there. And you say paint, paint the picture for them and let them feel the internal pressure. Uh, anything else there? Or I'll, I, I'll cover one more, um, make it an even six of your laws, but anything no, else oh, there? You know, painting the picture is right. The, the whole if, if a great influence, a great leader, people can see themselves doing it. They can taste it, touch it, feel it. And, and I mentioned earlier that when a brain gets overwhelmed, it tends to shut down. And that happens a lot of time with dissonance and to break it down into smaller pieces. And sometimes as, as influencers and leaders, we, it makes no perfect sense to us, but it's overwhelming to others. And when our brain gets overwhelmed, it just shuts down. If I've been traveling and I come home and I got a long list from everybody, I just take a nap, right? It's just too much. And so a great technique with distance is known as foot in the door, a powerful technique, so easy to implement. Let me just give you a study here. Uh, psychology students were asked, hey, will you participate in a sensory perception study Saturday at 7 a.m.? You know, that's a big ask. So, so 24% said yes. Then they did this. They said, hey, we're doing sensory perception. Will you participate? Oh, yeah. Saturday available? Yes. 7 a.m., can you be there? went from 24% to 56%. Hmm. And this should be an aha for your listeners. It's so easy. All we did was take a big ask and break it down into smaller, a smaller yeses. And the smaller the yes, the smaller the commitment, the easier it is to get the final yes. It might take you a few more moments up front, but if you're getting a lot of resistance with what you're asking, what you're asking is too big. It's too big for their brain. It's too overwhelming. Break it down to smaller yeses, known as foot in the door, it'll double your compliance because it's easier for the brain to handle, known as foot in the door technique. Interesting, because I'm now thinking of the, the question I had asked you about building somebody's confidence by breaking down the tasks, and I never looked at it that way, or I didn't read it or think of it that way when I was reading, uh, reviewing your book, I should say. So. Yeah, it's a simple thing that we can do to help them to get the yes. And there's the whole psychology of getting the yeses is as simple. And you want to get the easiest yeses first. Mm -hmm. I call it, sometimes people get a little too cheesy or high lactose, as I call it, you know, door-to-door -door salesman that'll say, do you live here? You're like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you love your children. You're like, yes. And so, I mean, any of these techniques you could take to the extreme, but you just want to get the simple yeses first. Hey, what time do you want to meet? What day do you want to meet? Instead of going right for the budget or, or some of the more complex yeses you're going to get, smaller yeses, smaller yeses, smaller yeses. 
All right, great. Well, look, I'm. this is perfect because uh, another law I'd like to cover is the law of balance. And since we did three in the front half, I want to do three in the second half here. Let's talk about balance because you also touched on that when you talked about the conscious, and I believe you're really saying that you were talking about the subconscious mind when we were, when you kind of alluded to that we make 95% of our decisions that way. So if you would talk about logic, talk about um, emotion and, and conscious and subconscious mind, please. Absolutely. So we have to balance our message between balance and or balance between logic and emotion. We're already good at logic with our statistics and our figures. We just lose the emotional side because we make decisions based on emotion. And we once that emotion phase, we justify with logic, but we just don't realize that we are not thinking creatures that feel. We're feeling creatures that think. Everything we're doing, it's tainted with emotion, with feelings. If a stranger approaches you on the street, Within seconds, I like them, I don't like them, I trust them, I don't going to trust them. Which I mentioned earlier, it could be a, a smell, a color, it's, uh, it could be a gesture, a word choice, the tone of your voice, and it permeates everything. In fact, let me illustrate that with an example. I, a couple years ago, I made the commitment, I think we've all probably made, I'm going to be healthy. I'm going to eat healthy, and part of that was no more fast food. I'm like, all right, I can do this. And I was doing really well, but I was late for this meeting. It was going to be a long meeting, really hungry, long meeting. I'm like, oh, what if I went to... Wendy's and got a grilled chicken sandwich that would be okay instead of fries a salad instead of a coke a diet coke I'm like I can do this and so I pulled up to the drive-thru and I waited and young lady says may I take your order and I promptly said I'll take a double baconator with cheese a large coke and a fry (laughs) like whoa 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 in my mind I was really getting a grilled chicken sandwich I really was but all of a sudden my brain hijacked got hijacked and I get a double baconator and you have to think to yourself, okay, what hijacked the brain? It could have been the smell. Maybe I saw a picture. Maybe I saw a commercial the night before that was running. Maybe they recommended it. Maybe I saw someone eating it. Maybe I heard the person in front of me order. All these things are running in our subconscious mind that influence the persuasion process. And we've got to be careful for anywhere from our tone of voice to colors to the words that we use can attract or repel people, but people get so stuck in business, they lose the emotional side of the business and they just do the logical without thinking about their prospects or consumers or even their internal clients or or employees. Great. Now, look, I've got some questions that came in, and uh, but before we do, I don't believe I asked you this, and if I didn't, please comment on this. We should, we should have talked, just as the wrapper of what we've discussed so far, how does trust fit in with your 12 laws of persuasion? Well, trust is the glue. It doesn't matter what technique you have. If people don't like you or trust you, it's not going to matter. In fact, I found earlier on in the persuasion process that, that uh, people always try to learn these closing skills. And closing skills is like trying to get a kiss after a bad date. I mean, if someone doesn't like you or trust you, it doesn't matter. That's true with these techniques because trust is critical. Now, let me just you have a few elements on trust that people need to understand. It's at an all-time low. Even though your listeners are good, trustworthy people, it doesn't mean they're building trust. 20 years ago, I like, I trust you, give me a reason not to. Now, things have changed to the point where I don't trust you, give me a reason to trust you. It's important to understand that you have to build it with everybody. Build that trust, which is the glue to all the techniques that we talked about today. All right. Thank you. Well, the next question is, is why do you say that soft skills are 85% of our success? Somebody read your book. Oh, that's a big one because, well, it is. (laughs) That's what the study showed. That was actually a study with engineers who really have to have their core competence. So 15% is your core competence, and you need to have that, especially with certain industries. 
but your ability to have the people skills, to negotiate, your emotional intelligence, your ability to influence, to lead, to do presentation skills. You look at business, you know the people that are getting promoted have those skills. And, and here's the secret. Most CEOs have a sales and marketing background because you've got to learn it somewhere. Hmm. All right. I think we have time for one more question and then we're going to give you the opportunity to tell everybody about you and how they can find you. So can you explain why up to 95% of influence involves the subconscious trigger? Maybe a little more deeper dive into that. Well, we can call it our reptilian brain, our caveman brain. The way our brain's programmed, all our input goes through our amygdala, which is kind of our fight or flight. It taints it with feelings, taints it with emotions. And we're emotional creatures. We cannot not be emotional. We cannot not judge somebody when they approach us. It's how our brains program. It's what saved our lives early on to, okay, fight or flight. Is this a dangerous situation? Is it a calm situation? So uh, a safe situation. These are things that way our brains program that we, ha we can utilize as influencers, as leaders to realize that when we use the right uh, stimulus, the right technique, people actually like to be influenced. They want to be influenced. They want someone they trust, an expert to lead in the right direction, but you have to use a balance of the conscious and subconscious mind. All right, Kurt, thank you so much for sharing all those insights with you, to, uh, with us today. And uh, look, uh, how, so if I'm a, uh, want to know more about Kurt Mortensen. How do I find you? What are the books you've written? Tell us a little bit more. We've only got about another minute for that. Probably the easiest place is MaximizeYourInfluence.com, which is uh, my podcast where we talk about different aspects of the science of persuasion there. You can get the free book, Maximum Influence. You can just pick up a little shipping and handling. You can take your persuasion IQ test to see where you rate, or you can check out Influence University, which is a a deeper dive in the world of persuasion and influence. But this is a critical skill. Get more tools. The more tools you have, the more successful you're going to be. Everything you want in life's on the other side of influence. It's one of those key factors. That's why I'm passionate. That's the key, key piece. Get more tools. Great. Well, look, not only can you find Kurt there, but uh, once again, if you go to yourevolvingleadershipjourney.com, you'll be able to click on his links. I've got links to his sites, to his uh, various social media profiles, and you'll be able to find him. So thank you for, so much for joining us today. We've been listening to Kurt Mortensen, the author of Maximum Influence, The 12 Universal Laws of Persuasion. And next week, we'll be listening to Mary Abijay, and she's got a book called Managing Up, and I'm sure a number of you will like to know about that as well. Thank you very much. I look forward to having you listen with us next week. Thank you for tuning in this week to Your Evolving Leadership Journey. Be sure to join host Tom Crea for another edition next Monday morning at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. And have a great week.